Difficult things in life, whether they're a result of bad choices that we've made or a result of things that have happened to us, don't automatically result in us being humble people. In fact, it's quite likely that those difficult things will create within us pride. That's why Peter, when he gets to the end of 1 Peter, a letter in which he's talking to us as exiles and strangers in this world, that those who have been through suffering or experiencing difficult times, at the end of his letter, he's got a warning to us and an encouragement to us, and it reads like this. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Well, this is the passage of Scripture that we want to talk about this morning, but we want to do so not from the way Peter has written it, but from the event in Peter's life that I think exemplified humility to him. So if you have a Bible, please turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, if you use one of the Bibles the church provides, it's page 874. John chapter 13, page 874. And we want to seek to understand how pride and humility work, realizing that as we go through difficulties in life, either a result of our own choices or what's been done to us, there's a very real possibility that what will develop is not humility, but pride. Now let me set the context for you. We're going to look in John chapter 13. But John chapter 12 narrates the event that we're celebrating this morning, that is Palm Sunday. John chapter 12 talks about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. John makes the point that as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, that he's doing so in fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah that says he's going to come in riding on a donkey. And Zechariah's point is, look Israel, here comes your king, which Jesus very truly is, but he's coming to you on a donkey, and that symbolizes his humility. So even as Jesus is being proclaimed as king of Israel, as Messiah, as the unique one who represents God, he's coming to his own, riding on a donkey, demonstrating his humility. That humility which is evident on this Sunday almost 2,000 years ago will manifest itself in an extremely powerful way on that Thursday, four days after Palm Sunday, when the events of John 13 happen. Let's look now at the story in John 13 as Jesus' humility is on display for us to see. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Four observations from this passage for us this morning about pride and humility. First, notice in verse number four, John makes a big deal about the fact that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Why is this such an important point? Why does John spend time telling us that Jesus has done this? Well, it's because what Jesus is doing with his clothing here is the exact opposite of pride. Matthew 23 is a passage that's closely connected to this one and closely connected to 1 Peter chapter 5. And in Matthew 23, Jesus says about the Pharisees, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Pride is about outward appearance. Pride is about how I look. Pride is about my accomplishments. Pride is me dropping names into every conversation to try to say who I know. Pride is me trying to turn every conversation to be about something that I'm good at talking about or something that's going to draw attention to me. Pride is about how others view me and putting on a front or an appearance that allows other people to see me in my best possible light. It's like like from the clip that I showed you at the beginning. Pride is constantly desiring affirmation from others to feed our ego. Pride is a wa wanting to be called doctor or teacher or professor. 
Seven years ago, I did something as a senior pastor here at Calvary that I'm horribly embarrassed about. On a Sunday morning, during one of our services, for a portion of the service, I chose to wear my doctoral robe from the University of Oxford. Now, I had lots of rationalizations for why I did it at the time, and they seemed good. But looking back, it was simply pride. I think probably I wanted to not feel quite so unqualified for a job that I knew I was in way over my head for. Now, I've apologized to the Lord for that, but I don't think I've ever publicly apologized. And so I want to say that I'm sorry for dishonoring God and the church in that way. See, Jesus did the exact opposite. Instead of putting on doctoral robes, he took off the clothing that he was wearing and instead put on the outfit of a servant. He wrapped a towel around his waist. See, the text says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that it wasn't about what he was wearing. It wasn't about his accomplishments. It wasn't about how people viewed him. He rested in the fact that the Father had called him to do what he was doing and that the Father was pleased with him. When you and I come to rest in who God has made us and how he loves us and how he cares for us, then we can stop insisting that everybody call us doctor or professor or teacher. We can stop dressing for success. We can stop craving affirmation, asking people, honey, did you notice what a great job I did fixing the car yesterday? We can stop trying to work our accomplishments into every conversation that we're involved in. We can simply rest in the fact that God our Father knows us and loves us, and we rest in that fact. Jesus doesn't have to put anything on to impress anybody. He's willing to take things off and to dress like a servant. Pride is about outward appearance. Pride is worrying about how other people view us. Pride is wanting affirmation from others. Humility is resting in who God has made us and who we are. Observation number two, verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do what I have done for you. In Matthew 23, Jesus also says about the Pharisees, do not do what they do. They do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Pride is expecting more of others than we expect of ourselves. Pride is demanding more of others than we demand of ourselves. Now, why do we do this? It's because pride gives us an overinflated view of ourselves. And we want to hold others not to the actual standard of what we do, but to our inflated view of what we do. 
We think to ourselves, I'm always on time. I'm always on time wherever I go. And we get mad at people when they're late coming to our house. But if we're honest, we're not always on time. We think, I always give 110% at my job. I always go above and beyond what's expected. I always do my assignments with the greatest possible energy. And then we get mad at those who work for us or owe us something in their job and we think, why can't they do what I do? Why can't they always go above and beyond? Why can't they always give 110%? But if we're honest, we have bad weeks sometimes too. We forget to do an assignment. We allow laziness to creep in. We play video games on our phone when we're supposed to be working. One of the ways in which this expecting more of others than we expect of ourselves manifests itself in society is in how we think about and treat the poor. It's easy to hear someone say when you think about the poor in society, well, I used to be poor. I grew up in very poor circumstances, but I got a job and I worked hard. And I didn't drop out of school and I chose not to do drugs and I, I chose not to get someone pregnant outside of wedlock and, and I chose to work hard and to advance. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and it's easy to think that and then look around at society and say, well, why are anybody poor here? If everybody would just work as hard as I did, we wouldn't have poverty in this country. But that's arrogance talking. If we're honest... In many cases, our circumstances weren't nearly as bad as a lot of people's who are stuck in poverty. We may have had a good home life that we came out of. It may not have been wealthy, but we have parents who loved us. It may be that God just simply gifted us with physical strength or athletic ability or a willingness to a drive, ambition. It may be that we had a teacher who believed in us. It may be that we had a boss who gave us our first chance. It may be that we had a friend who came along at an important time and helped us. <clears throat> Whatever it may be, we're overestimating how much we pulled ourselves out of that pit. And as a result, we are expecting more from others than we expect from ourselves. Jesus says, that's pride. That's what the Pharisees did. See, the problem is all of us think that we're more frugal better disciplined, better uh, with our eating habits than we really are. We think we're more punctual, more spiritual, more godly than we really are. And the problem is, is then we look at everybody else and expect more from them than we're actually doing ourselves. But Jesus does the opposite. He doesn't command his disciples to go out and wash other people's feet until he does it first. And really what Jesus does here is far more difficult than any foot washing they're going to have to do. Here he is, the God of the universe, dressed like a common servant, washing the feet of all his disciples, including Judas, who's going to betray him, and he knows it. None of his disciples will be asked to do anything on that order of magnitude. And of course, even worse, tomorrow, the day after this. 
Jesus will die on a cross bearing the sins of the entire world. No one will ever do anything that difficult. But yet when Jesus looks at us, it's not with judgmentalism or unrealistic expectations. It's with mercy and grace. Remember, in just a few verses, Peter's the one who's going to say to Jesus, even if everyone else falls away, I never will. And Jesus, in kindness, says to Peter, you've overestimated your courage and your faithfulness. But Jesus doesn't get angry or judge him. He extends to him mercy and grace. Pride is expecting more from others than we expect from ourselves. Humility is offering others mercy and grace. Observation number three, verse eight. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus is going around the room washing everyone's feet and he gets to Peter and Peter says, no. Pride is refusing to allow others to serve us. Why does Peter say no? Why won't he let Jesus wash his feet? It's because he doesn't want to be in Jesus' debt. He doesn't want to admit to himself if the God of the universe has to become a human and put on the clothing of a servant and kneel down at my feet and wash them, then something must be terribly wrong with me. I must desperately need him to do this. And Peter doesn't want to admit that. Peter doesn't want to allow Jesus to serve him because that means that Peter can't take care of things on his own. And that's our response, isn't it? When someone offers to help us or to serve us, what do we say when someone says, when we're going through a difficult time, is there anything I can do for you? What's our response? No, I'm, I'm fine. Why? Because we don't want to admit that we need help from others. And if we do accept help, it usually has to be forced on us. And when it's forced on us, we talk about it as we, I had to swallow my pride and accept their help. Jesus is saying, stop swallowing the pride and spit it out. You've got to let others serve you. The point is, as we say, look, if I go to the elders and, and ask for prayer, that will mean that there's something in my life that I can't handle for myself. If I accept financial help from a friend or from the church, if I go to my teacher and say, I don't understand what's going on in class, could I have some tutoring? If I say to a small group member, I need you to come and sit with me at the hospital because I'm scared. That means that something's not right with us, that we're less than what we think we're supposed to be. And pride says, no, I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need help from anybody. But notice what Jesus says to Peter. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, look, Peter, how do you think this is going to work? If I don't serve you, how are we going to have a relationship? Because the foot washing is symbolic for what Jesus is going to do the next day on the cross. See, the problem with pride is it makes us think, I don't need what happens on that cross. I don't need God to serve me. Jesus says, look, if you won't accept my help, if you won't accept me serving you, 
we can't have a relationship. And the same is true today. Peter has already reminded us in his epistle that one of the main ways that God exhibits or demonstrates his grace to us is through others. We talked about gifts of grace that others use to extend God's grace to us. What Jesus is trying to say is, look, if you won't let the elders pray over you, if you won't allow the church to help you financially, if you won't allow the person to come alongside and to tutor you in your classes, if you won't allow someone to come and sit with you in the hospital when you're all alone, you are hindering my ability to spend time with you and to give you grace. We think to ourselves, no, no, I don't need you to come sit with me in the hospital as I get ready to go through this surgery. Jesus is going to be there. And Jesus is saying, look, your friend coming to sit with you is how I'm going to be there. And when you tell them not to come, you're telling me not to come. And the same thing Jesus said to Peter is true for us. If you won't let others serve you, it's going to hinder your relationship with me. Pride is the refusal to accept anything from anybody else. Humility says, Lord, I need you to wash my feet. I need this. Observation number four, stay in verse number eight. Because when Peter says, you shall never wash my feet, and Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This verse works at two levels. The first level is the one we've already talked about, which is the level of Jesus serving Peter. The second level at which it works is the level of Jesus forgiving Peter. See, this foot washing is a tie between serving and forgiveness. That's what that whole discussion about being clean and having a bath is about. When Jesus gets to that point about cleanliness and bath, he's shifting the discussion to say, look, I'm not just washing your feet. This is a symbol of the forgiveness that I'm offering to you. And the most insidious form of pride is the refusal to allow God to forgive us or the refusal to allow others to forgive us. Why do we do this? When we commit a sin, when we do something that offends God, when we do something that we know is wrong, we think to ourselves, I know how I'll pay for this. I'll never forget about it. I'll carry the guilt with me wherever I go. I'll never volunteer again in church. I'll never accept a serving position at the church because I, I will remind myself that I'm unworthy. And we may not consciously do this, but the reason why we continue to do that is we want to pay for our sins ourselves. I'm going to make this right. I messed this up and there may be no way for me to go back and fix it, but the way I'll fix it is I'll live with the guilt and the shame for the rest of my life. I will continue to beat myself up. I will continue to remember this and to bring this up. What we're doing, it sounds noble, but it's not. It's pride. It's pride because if I say I need God to forgive me, then it means that I'm broken. If I need someone to forgive me, it means that I'm not as great as I think I am. Now, as only God can do, on Sunday night, not only did God show me a clip that helped me think about pride and humility, he also sent me an email. 
And as I read that email, I realized it's this fourth point. And so I contacted the person who wrote the email and I said to her, would you be okay if I shared that email with the congregation? Well, again, God's always got bigger plans uh, than I do. And it turns out that God didn't want me to read that email. He wanted her to come and share that in person. So Kelly, would you come and share the testimony and what God's been doing in your heart? Today I stand before you a changed woman, finally able to share a sin and testimony that has changed my life. Until two weeks ago, I could count on one hand the number of people I trusted with my secret. Now I share before many, a little scared and intimidated, but bathed in prayer and grace. Thirty years ago, I made a horrible, life-altering choice to have an abortion. Many sins led up to that fateful decision, but nonetheless, there I was, and I believed my problems were solved. A few years later, I became a Christian and tried to live a normal, forgiven life. Inside, though, I was dying from shame, guilt, and regret. I tried hiding behind my perfect Christian life, never wanting anyone to know the truth. Inside, I felt like a hypocrite and a fraud. Over the years, I've been told many times that I am forgiven, and I believe that Jesus has more grace to forgive than I can even imagine. I have just had so much trouble forgiving myself, and Satan was well aware of what would consume me with guilt and shame. I've hidden the fact that I had an abortion for my children and many others. I've known for a while that I needed to share this with my children, but the hang-up was with me. I would say I was going to do it, but time, life, and fear got in the way, and I just wouldn't face it. I was a coward. Satan convinced me that I was at risk of losing everything, my family's reputation, my relationship with my children, and the respect of my fellow Christian friends. Two weeks ago, I came forward for prayer for this and acknowledged my love for Jesus, as Peter did. It was life-changing, and I felt different than any other time that I had approached Jesus regarding this sin. That afternoon, I knew it had to be different. I needed to talk to my daughter, Katie, and sooner, not later. I was dreading having the conversation with her, but I knew it needed to happen. That afternoon, after lots of prayer, I finally had a heart-to-heart with her and told her about my abortion. The funny thing is, the reaction was not anything like I anticipated all these years. She was gracious and forgiving. We talked about how we could serve together side by side at a crisis pregnancy center. She actually cried, not that I had an abortion, rather that I would ever think that our relationship would be compromised because of it. What a blessing. I don't need to run from my past anymore, and I am thankful and relieved. Since then, I have talked openly with my sons and have answered many questions. The love and forgiveness of my husband, Sam, and my kids is such a blessing and a small example of Christ's love for me. I learned so much from this, and as you can imagine, regret the lost time. I was so afraid of what might be that I was literally paralyzed in so many areas of my life. The fear of being found out kept me, most importantly, from having a closer relationship with Jesus, my husband, my kids, and many others. 
I've learned that transparency is more important than pride and reputation. Without 100% transparency, we are stifling the spirit. What was I running from anyway? Jesus died for me, and I was afraid of a secret. It seems so irrational now, but it has felt so real over the past 30 years. My sins either way sent him to the cross. Now it's my responsibility to use those experiences to help others not make the same horrible choice that I did. I realize that I am only holy because of Christ and his sacrifice. The real tragedy in all of this is that the Spirit has been knocking on my heart's door to serve and share this experience for so long, but I just couldn't do it. In the name of saving my family reputation, I put off reaching out and sharing my story. Not anymore. There is a song that has a lyric, I'm breathing in your grace, I'm breathing out your praise, and I can't stop singing it. I have a verse from Psalms that really speaks to me and will be the words of God that motivate me. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We all do exactly what Kelly has been doing. In our pride, we don't want to admit that we need forgiveness. We want to think that if somehow we just don't tell anybody, if we put on a front, if we just hold on to that guilt and that shame, that somehow we'll pay for our own sin. But humility is simply coming to Jesus and kneeling down and saying, I'm sorry and accepting from him forgiveness. You know, the verse we started with in 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pride refuses to bend its knee. Pride refuses to bow its head and say, I need forgiveness. Humility says, I'm a broken person, but God loves me. And the question for you this morning and the question for me this morning is if you've been through difficulties in life, and we all have, whether they're the result of your own choosing or the result of what's been done to you, how are you responding? Have you embraced pride? Have you decided to put on a false facade? to wear nice clothes, to hide behind business success, to seek affirmation from everybody and everything you can? Have you become judgmental and legalistic, a perfectionist, perfectionist expecting more from others than you expect from yourself? Have you embraced being independent and self-made, not allowing others to serve you during your time of need? Have you refused to accept forgiveness from God and from others? Contrary to our thinking, you would think the difficult times would force us to be humble. In many ways, we get wounded so deeply that it turns into pride. 
We put up a shield and a defense. We don't want to let anything get near that wound again. But Peter warns us. The person we're really pushing out at that moment is God. Because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up. And the question for you and for me is in all our trouble and our suffering and our difficulty, are we embracing pride or humility? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what fools we have been to somehow think that we would fix this on our own. Lord, pride is so difficult to see. Lord, I pray that your spirit right now would descend upon us as a people and show us that our constant need of affirmation, our perfectionism, our legalism, our independent streak is not just character traits, it's pride. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us, that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, Satan has deceived us twice, once in our sin or the sin that was done to us and now in our response. Lord, open our eyes and cause us to see Jesus, thank you for coming and setting an example for us. Thank you for choosing to bow your knees and to wash our feet. Thank you for loving us enough to die for us. Help us to admit today and every day that we needed you to do that. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.